everybody. Welcome to another broadcast of the Christian Cornerstone uh, Ministry Project. Last week, we talked about the entertainment-driven church. Um, I guess you could classify that as part one of a part two series. Uh, we talked a little bit about what you know signs of an entertainment-driven church. We talked about some signs of heresy, sometimes some reasons why people leave these churches, and they, even the dangers behind them. Now, for those of you who did not listen to that, I want to encourage you to go back and check out the Entertainment Driven Church. Uh, it's uh, the last podcast we did. Um, and I do want to make this known, a quick reminder, entertainment within the church, there's nothing sinful behind it. Entertainment is simply something you find pleasure in, you know, your perspective, you know, you, you well, you essentially find entertainment in it. Um... And, and, you know, we find that within the church. Uh, you know, there's everybody's got different perspectives as far as what they're entertained by. But the problem is that we need to recognize when it comes to that is, is the focus, you know, to simply appeal to the word, to the people? Is it to be seeker-friendly? Is it to entertain the people? Is that the main focus? If that is the main focus, there's a means for... Concern. Now, today we're actually going to be going over the flip side of this: what to look for in a new church, or you know, signs of a uh, a solid church, signs of a church that's uh, has firm foundations. First thing you've got to ask, you know, there's there's so many different things that you can go over with, so many different questions that people ask, uh, and you know, that you want to necessarily look for uh, when it comes to finding a new church, you know. One of the big things is you, you need to look for is, you know, what's the biblical criteria of this? Um, how do these people, uh, how, how engaged are these people? How much does it cost to, to finance this ministry? Um, does it meet the family's needs or our family's needs? Is it, is it going to help my children? Um, how well is it built? And uh, I don't necessarily think that would be, uh, well, it'd be a physical thing, uh, you know, talking about the, the, the building structure. That alone is important because, you know, you don't want your, um, you don't want your family, you know, taking place in a church uh, building that's going to fall apart in an hour or even while your guys are in it. Now, we do understand it's not the building itself that does make the church. But even so, I mean, it's important, you know, essentially saying, you know, is it well built? It's saying, is it really cared for? Is the building to the best of their ability, is this building cared for? Is it, or is it just a podunk shack that nobody's giving any sort of attention to? Are they not caring for this church? What kind of neighborhood is it in? And I don't want to necessarily want to say, you know, is it a safe neighborhood? Is it an unsafe neighborhood? But you got to look. You've got different kind of cultural perspectives. You've got different economic uh, statuses uh, that we can go with. You've got the, you know, the uh, the rich class. You've got the middle class and the lower class, um, all the other classes in between. But um, you don't want to necessarily. I don't think you really should, you know, focus on is this a safe neighborhood. Um, I remember uh, being a part of. A, I'm sorry, not being a part of, but uh, checking out a church. Uh, to help out and I was actually told that it was in a dangerous part of the neighborhood or a dangerous area and I was like you know that's not the concern because the you know if it's in a dangerous area these are the people that need to hear the word of God the most so I think it's I think these churches that are in these dangerous areas are probably the best ones to be a part of um, and it depends uh, on you know you know I, I'm not going to go into uh, you know this is mandatory to be a part of because you've got children that you've got to look out for you've got your spouses and you know your family and such so uh, these are some things you know is it warm is it a homey atmosphere 
is it uh, is it does it does it show hospitality? Uh, these are some of the questions in which people have some of the general questions that they look for when it comes to finding a church. But there's also a lot more that you need to focus on. A lot more, rather than you know simply looking into the cost, rather than looking into the the, the, the building structure or the neighborhood. There's more you need to look into. Some of these things might be is uh, you know essentially investigating the foundations. Um, I actually thought uh, I pulled this out. <clears throat> the church that I'm going to now, I've been there. Oh, I want to say probably since February. So what, February, March, April, May, June. We're working probably on about four or five months. Is how long I've been there. I thought it was really beautiful and well put together. Um, when I went there, I actually went there with these uh, with with what we're sharing today. Um, you know this little criteria, and I went there with a picky mindset. I went there in a mindset, and I still do, and I think it's really important that we take this mindset uh, at some times, is is to recognize the errors, keep an open mind, you know, like the Bereans we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, um, you know, about uh, when it comes to doctrine. We need to, you know, be picky. We need to recognize that, and, you know, we have to take advantage of this to, we need to recognize that there's some people who are not intentionally leading astray, but they simply don't know. Or they may misunderstand. So first of all, we need to bring that into account before we deem it as heresy. And if they listen, awesome. You've won your brother over, Matthew 18. But if not, then you are to cast not only the people, but also you know possibly the pastor or the church out as a heretic. Uh, unfortunately, this is some of the stuff that does need to be done from a time to time. Now, when you're looking for a new church, what you want to do, and these are signs, I would say that these are signs of a firm foundation uh, church. You want to look at its foundations. Uh, you know, as Jesus says, a wise man builds his house upon uh, a rock, and a foolish man builds his house upon the sand. You find this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And when the storm comes, the stability of the foundation determines both the direction and the durability of the structure, whether you are searching for... Um, whether you are searching for a home to live in or a church to worship in, the foundation is crucial. Um, and there's you know, four main points in which we're going to be going over with as far as these components for the foundation of a, structural, uh, of a strong structural church. The first one is, does it have a proper view of Scripture? Now, when investigating the potential church that you're going to, um, by the way, this article that I'm, what I'm sharing here is actually provided by uh, Grace to You. As, as I said earlier, uh, this is this is some criteria that I've uh, used when it came to finding myself a church, um, and I'm going to share this on our website uh, this evening. So I want you guys to check this out as well. But uh, this is for this information uh, specifically for today is brought to you by Grace to You uh, with John MacArthur, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. Um, Anyways, the first uh, key point when examining its or investigating its foundation is the proper view of Scripture. When investigating a potential church, a potential church home, uh, you need to pay particular attention to how the view of the Bible. In fact, that should be the first thing that you look at. Um, you know, does it hold to the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture? Um, the, the account of creation, that's something that's really important, I think. I, you know, I've had experience with that, but that's important to... Uh, to recognize is how they view that because that's ultimately going to say is like do they believe in the scriptures or not um, does it believe the Bible is the only rule and faith and practice 
find this in Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, as well as Second Peter one, chapter twenty, verse twenty one. I also think it's important that when it comes to this, do they have a proper view of Scripture? Not only does the church openly say on their website, we believe the Bible to be without error, we believe it to be the written word of God, but you also need to see, do they preach that? Do they live that out in their daily Christian faith? Is everything that's been written in Scripture 100% true? Now, it's true that there's some things, such as the, uh, the civil laws, um, you know the the ceremonial laws. Some of these things we can overlook, but when it comes to the actual events of what happened, these are the things that we need to recognize. And I bring up creation itself uh, quite a bit in these when we're talking about this. Um, you know the, the foundation because I've had that experience. I was actually at a church that said, and I've shared this before. You know, a Living Truth Ministry. Uh, they uh, it's not necessarily a ministry, at least not one with, guided by the Holy Spirit, but. Um, you know, the pastor themselves, I've shared in the past, would say that, uh, you know, this, uh, in fact, this isn't just this one. This is, you, you, you'd find this all over. I've heard it a few times uh, already. But, uh, you know, you'd say it doesn't matter. But what happens is that it actually did happen. There's some controversies, which we're not going to get into with that. But when it comes to, when it comes to the inerrancy of scriptures, that's a, probably one of the key things that you want to ask is not only do they believe the account of creation, but you ask them is like, do you guys teach it? And and not just a means of yes, we teach. Hey, you know, you can trust this six days, blah blah blah. But ask them why? Why can it be trusted? Have you taught that? Have you explained to why this can be trusted? In fact, once we get some of these things caught up, we're going to be going over Genesis. I'm really excited for that. But you need to you need to look into that. And it's not just the concept of creation. Look into their faith. Look in how they. Um, how they uh, play it out? What what are some um, what are some of the the, the common uh, what do you want to say the common current controversies uh, that are going on in the world today? How does the uh, the church that you're looking at how do they focus on these things? One thing in particular is homosexuality. This is a big one. Homosexuality is is beginning to be accepted. In fact, I can't I don't even know where, but I believe he's a Presbyterian or a Pentecostal church, something like that. Um, somewhere, I don't even know where it was located, but they just um, recently um, ordained a minister, which I could be wrong, but I think they were transgender or transsexual uh, or one of the, uh, I think it's the same thing. Um, anyways, the, 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 the minister themselves aligned or believed and, and, and felt that it was a really good thing to go towards this is um, this progressive LGBTQA, all this other, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G letters that these uh, uh, heretical and, you know, I would say honestly satanic believers uh, or, or Satan-led believers, these false believers, these false Christians are accepting. A church itself was accepting this idea. And not only that, but you also have some churches today, um, and especially in the, the Methodist, I mean, not limited to, but this is one that, that I've uh, experienced as well, uh, more or less, is you have the Methodist church and other denominations that are accepting women into be minister roles, you know, saying, hey, if you feel the call, then go for it. But there's, there's a whole entire explanation behind that. But that's one of the things that you want to recognize. And I, I was actually sharing this with uh, somebody just the other day, you know, about the women's role in ministry. And again, we'll save that for another topic. Um, but if that's happening, if you're seeing somebody who's in a elder 
uh, position within the church, an overseer position in the church, a, uh, a pastoral leadership position within the church that is a female. That is one key factor, at least in today's age, uh, today's day and age, is that that is one key, one very broad sign that this specific church that, that, you, that is in question is either already has or is beginning to be led astray. Because they would even back this up with scripture saying, oh, that this uh, such and such means this, blah, blah, blah. One in particular that comes to my mind is people talking about Priscilla. Well, she was a leader of the church. She was a deacon. She, uh, Priscilla was a deacon. And you have to keep in mind, she wasn't a leader of the church because the same man who recognizes Priscilla, this is an axe, the same man who recognizes uh, Priscilla as a servant of the Lord is also the same man who is penning it out in uh, the letters to Timothy that I do not permit a woman to authority over a man. So the question is, okay, so this is kind of controversy, so what's the position? The bottom line is women can be involved in ministry. Women can be in the church. But the authority over a man, i.e. a leadership position within the church, the, of the head, uh, the elders, this is not something that's been designed by God for a woman to fill. It's not sexist because this is, you know, the women themselves, outside of that leadership role, women are to be treated as equal within the Christian community. Another point that you want to recognize you know, when it comes is the emphasis of the Bible teaching and preaching. Um, and we went over this just a little bit, but examine you know, and observe what kind of preaching is done. What kind? Think about that. What kind of preaching is done? Is it primarily expository? By my, you know, by my own personal experience, I firmly do believe that that is probably the number one type of uh, uh, preaching that needs to be done. Um, you know, essentially a verse-by-verse -verse detail of what's going on. It's not picking out the verse, giving your commentary. It's picking out the verse, showing what these words mean, showing the event that's going on here, and relating that to that. Verse-by-verse, -verse, one verse at a time, unleashing God's truth, as grace to you would say. Um, is it topical? There's another thing. Topical itself is very dangerous, to be honest. Topical sermons are usually the the pastor themselves giving you a or you know however they're coming across it they're picking a topic now topical is not always dangerous in fact you know some people do it over Mother's Day Christmas you know special holidays special events that take place or you know tragedies whatever you want to go with but this should not be your primary source your primary style of preaching if you're doing topical. You're picking apart the Bible to fit your desires. That's the danger behind topical preaching. And my opinion, topical preaching does not deserve to be in the pulpit because of that. Or is it an evangel... Evan, I can't even pronounce this word right now. Evangelistic in nature. Is the main diet of the church, is the main diet of the ministry, is it repetitive salvation is it repetitive? Is it a repetitive diet? Um, is it a repetitive diet of salvation message each week? If that is, in fact, I've actually noticed this more since I've left uh, the, the the church that I was at, is that that's the main focus. 
Um, now, it is true that we are to love as God loves us. It is true that we are to love others, uh, our neighbors as ourselves. Absolutely true. But if your message comes back to that every single day or every single sermon, then there's reason to raise questions. Now, it could be the first thing you want to do, obviously, is you want to bring, you know, bring that to the attention of the minister. Hey, you know, I didn't notice that. Um, and then, you know, have them, you know, correct it. But if it still continues the same concept, then it's being dangerous because you're you're basically being fed the same food day after day after day after day. You can't survive on carrots 24-7. You can't survive on milk for the rest of your life. Um, you can't survive on a bag of chips. You know, the re well, you probably could, but, you know, not exactly the healthiest thing. Or, you know, are they, is it a repetitive diet? Is it the same thing? Or are believers being fed from the word? And this is implying, are they being fed a healthy uh, plate of, of, of the meats? Are they being, uh, you know, fed with the vegetables? Are they being fed with the fruits? Uh, you know, a little dessert on the side. Are they getting the proper nutrition, nu nutrients that they need from the word of God? Is everything being covered? You find reference points in this in Acts 20, verse 27, 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, and 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. There should be a strong commitment to high quality. I guess we could probably say a high class cuisine when it comes to a spiritual meal. Of biblical teachings, there should be a high quality. Is it doctrinal soundness? Again, this is something that you want to take some time to, you know, come up with a, a judgment on. Um, and you got to take into consideration that there's sometimes, uh, you know, you'll have individuals. The church that I'm at now, which I'll actually go over with here in a minute. The church that I'm at now, actually, it it's got an individual who talks about certain spiritual gifts that they're still active today, you know, relating to, you know, such as healings, which I'm not down in healings. Um, I do believe God can work that, but it's not as much as we think it is. Um, speaking in tongues, for an example, again, we'll leave that for another point, but that's not biblical. I mean, it is biblical, but it's not a gift that is active. In fact, if you want to look it up, um, I think i got to do a little bit more research before I have an accurate number. But I believe it's in the 1960s is, is when this charismatic speaking in tongues movement began. Um and before that, you know, you'd have uh, ministers who didn't even recognize it, who didn't even, you know, it wasn't, tongues wasn't a thing. It was a dead, it was a dead gift that no longer existed. But anyways, this gentleman that uh, comes to mind, you know, this are some of the things he teaches that they're still here. Uh, you know, it's a bunch of heresy in which he's, he's, he shared. And I find it to be concerning. I haven't really talked to him on the matter, so I can't really go too far into this. But um, you've got, in any church, you're going to have individuals who are like this, who are, who are not doctrinally sound. It's important to recognize that, and it's important also to recognize that that is an individual's understanding. That is not the church's practice. That is not their belief. That is not what they teach. These are some of the things you need to recognize. Before you completely diss a church, you need to ask yourself, is this heretical nonsense is this doctrinal error, is this recognized by the whole church, or is this just an individual's understanding? You know, just as you would expect the soundness of the house foundation, you would want to also investigate the doctrinal stance of the church that you visit. Uh, where do they stand on crucial issues of the Christian faith, the virgin birth, 
um, the deity of Jesus Christ, the depravity of mankind, the work of Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, the bodily resurrection, salvation by grace through faith alone, the second coming, uh, ordinance of baptism and communion. Um, I think that's actually really important to recognize. There's some, um, you know, and, and the, question, the question we raise is how often do we do communion? Um, there's different churches who do it um, at different you know, intervals. Uh, in fact, there's actually not uh, any sort of biblical. Excuse me. Um, there's not essentially um, any sort of biblical uh, mandate as far as how often that you perform a communion, uh, the communion service, the the Lord's Supper. But it is something that we should do. It is something that's uh, instructed to do. And, uh, you know, this is something that the early churches did. How often they did, they actually probably, I would have, I would presume they've done it every single day. But um, there's really no biblical stance as far as how often it's required. Some churches do it weekly. Some churches do it um, monthly, as far as I know. Some churches do it um, every couple months. Um, but I would, I personally, um, I wouldn't go any longer than a month without doing communion or Lord's Supper. Um, it should not be done so often that we become numb to the purpose of it, that we simply take it just because it's part of our routine. Um, you know, and, and that, by that, I would recommend not doing it weekly. But it shouldn't be done so little that it's only done once or twice a year. Um, again, you know, this church that I was at in my past, as far as my memory serves, I was there for about two years, and I only recall communion being served i want to say once um and then you know i, I which is interesting i asked a, a lady who was still going to that you know out of curiosity i was like you know have they done since i've I, you know since i left this church have they done a communion um and you know from what she's told me no they didn't and this was at least a year that it was passed so um i would presume that it's kind of one of those things that they just do randomly uh, and it's very concerning to me because that's not the, the purpose of a communion. The purpose of communion is to give recognition to what the Lord has done. Do this in remembrance of me. That's one of the things he says when you drink from the cup and when you, you eat the bread. And the purpose is, is to remember who Christ is and what he has done in our lives, what his teachings are, what the, what the bodily uh, the communion represents, the purpose of the resurrection and everything. Everything that Christ has done during our lives, you know, we consume, we essentially consume him. That's what we're called to do. Uh, we're not, you know, we're not literally called to eat the flesh. It's as if the Catholics believe that, but um, we should take this at least, I would say probably uh, once a month is my recommendation because we need to recognize, not do it so much, but that not do it so much that we lose uh, focus as far as what the purpose is. And not do it so little that we forget about it altogether. So I think that's really important to recognize is, is how often does the church do uh, communion? Is that recognized? Doctrinal practices. You know, again, that goes with this too. All this, this entire section is, uh, you know, about their foundation of the doctrine. The doctrine itself is key. If you don't have good doctrine, in fact, I don't even remember who shared it. Um, let me see if I think I actually saved that image. Um see here images image here we go this is what it is it's by uh, if i'm pronouncing this right Vodi bakum um i don't exactly know where he teaches but here's this quote theology matters 
Or in other words, your doctrinal faith, your doctrinal stance matters. Um, you, we can use those interchangeably, theology and doctrine. Um, your theology dictates the way you live. Your theology dictates the way you interact with God and your fellow man. And your theology dictates all of these things. And your theology dictates the way you approach a mission. Likewise, the same is with your doctrine. What you believe about the scriptures is going to be evidence in your life. Another thing you want to do is another point is examining the scriptures. Or I'm sorry, scriptures. We already talked about that. Examining the foundations of their biblical position. Um, examining its structure. That's what we want to do. We're going to try to get through this. Uh, we're already running on almost 30 minutes here. Um, you know, once you're satisfied with all this, once you've recognized that uh, you have... Um, once you've recognized that they're they're doctrinally sound, uh, in fact, go into your church and get picky. I'm serious. Get picky to the point that you're going to pick it apart and you're going to ask, you know, you're going to find every single error in the teaching and then ask yourself when you recognize that, is this something that's intentionally being taught or is this something that you can confront the pastor or the minister or whoever's teaching it really at that point in time? Is this something that you can confront to, you know, talk about, to, you know, share the understanding? Ask us like, hey, you know, I heard you say, uh, say something this way. I was a little curious as why you said this or what makes you th I think this way. Or, you know, I, I heard you say this position of doctrine um, or, you know, this is heresy. This is good. I tend to disagree and ask them, you know, what's the position? Where are they coming from before you completely throw them under the bus? Excuse me. So another thing you want to do, um, you said uh, examining its structures. The church government. This is a good one. You want to recognize that. These things are really important um, because it shows that they, uh, well, essentially shows that they're, um, that they're standing in the word. Uh, it, it, it dictates um, the, uh, the character and the direction of, of, of its ministry. And this is, uh, it also provides strength or shows how strong uh, this church is the church government. You know, find out the church leaders' function according to the New Testament principles, uh, which can be found in First Timothy chapter three, one through thirteen, as well as chapter five, seventeen through twenty, Titus chapter one, verse four through nine, Hebrews thirteen, verse seven and verse seventeen. Do they understand the centrality of Christ uh, as head of the church and desire His rule? Uh, desire to rule his church through the plurality of godly men. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, chapter 4 verse 15, chapter 5 verse 23, and Colossians 1.18, and as well as 1 Corinthians 11.3. Now there's one thing we need to recognize. Now, now as we're getting into this, we're getting picky. We're getting picky with what to look for in a church, but and you know the people, there might be some of you who are even asking, it's like, well, there's really no perfect church. Um, in fact, one of the phrases, I don't know if they have it on here, uh, they do not. Uh, the phrase, uh, the catchphrase, or the motto or whatever of the, the church that I'm at is uh, 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 an imperfect church or an imperfect people uh, serving a perfect God or something like that. And we use that, you know, I, I think we use it a little too much, you know, saying that there's no perfect church. You're right, there's not because it's filled by imperfect human beings. But one of the things we need to recognize as Christ shared, be perfect as your father in heaven and, per and as your father is perfect in heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, I believe. Now that's not to say that we can successfully accomplish perfection here on earth, but we should continuously be striving for it. 
This is, this, is, this is something that's important for us to recognize. If we find an error, fix it. Christ himself, he did that quite a bit. Even even to his disciples. I mean, there's some, even if it was gen a gentle rebuke. Hey, man, you know, I love you, but, you know, you're not really doing right. Um, you know, these are some of the things that are recognized. Um, and, and it helps uh, build the character of the church up as well. Um, evidence of the order. What's the order of the church like? Um the church's ministry, including its services, teaching, and administration, uh, should have an obvious sense of order. Some church services exhibit as much lack of planning as do homes with poorly uh, thought-out floor plans. Some churches handle the Lord's resources and work in such a haphazard way that they bring shame to the name of Christ. And as Paul said in speaking to the church, let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. Now, as I'm going over this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, I recall I was talking to a woman, um, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I think is what it was. And they were asking about their church, you know, hey, this church I'm checking out, they have this, this, and this, blah, blah, blah. Essentially, I, you know, it's concluding that it was a false church. It was, it was, it was, a, it was not a church of God. They had all these errors here, and, and these two that I want to point out is number one, they did a couple things that, that, that was con very concerning. One, when they took the tithe, I think, I could be wrong on this, um, in, I, I don't know 100% because I wasn't there, this is just based off memory, but if I remember the message right, if I remember what she was telling me right, um, they when they would take the tithe, uh, they would uh, you know pocket a couple a couple dollars, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, they, they, the the pastor himself deserves the wages. But from my understanding, and I can't, I, they were using the um, they were using the tithing funds inappropriately. Um, as far as exactly how, I can't remember. Um, there was another piece there that they were talking about. It's like, well, if you don't sing in front of the church, you know, you, you know, you have to. That was, they were trying to make that some sort of biblical requirement that you need to sing in front of the church, and it was the same songs every week uh, that they were going over with the same, you know, two or three songs, and that's a concern right there. You know, it, it was you know saying do it this way because this is how it's done. The the pastor himself didn't have any sort of education. Um, they had no social media presence. That alone is not necessarily, you know, dangerous, but it's means for concern, uh, especially in this day and age. You know, just about everything has a social media presence, even if it's small. Even if it's just a you know Facebook group page, um, or um, you know just a contact list or something. That yet there, just about every ministry has something up there to show their information. Uh, another piece was that they shared was that uh, there was a gentleman who. Uh, I believe he sp outspoke on the church. You know, he was actually preaching against the church outside of their doors one day. And they came and said, hey, great message. Thank you. And however it was worded, I wasn't there, obviously. Great message. Thank you for this insight, blah, blah, blah. And they took a donation for this man. Said, hey, you know, let's take a donation or an offering, you know, to help support this man's ministry. How it was distributed, I do not know, but... They were doing this. They were actively saying, "Like we're doing this to show to to show our support for this gentleman who's preaching, who's correcting us. Let's give some money to him." And from my understanding, they were actually pocketing some of the money in which they were doing as well. As well as there was a lady selling for her own gain, um, you know, selling some stuff within the church. Now, the problem with that is Christ himself made it perfectly clear. The Romans himself, they did something similar to that. And Christ's response is, is you are turning the house of God 
into a den of thieves. You are stealing from God, is essentially what that principle lays out. So um, the order itself uh, is something we need to recognize. And I'm not just talking about the financial stuff, but how they play it out. Do they care? Do they have this like plan? Is it, is it properly planned out? That's the bottom line there. Functions and goals and objectives. Uh, as you investigate this new church, find out the leadership. Um, have, do they have any set goals? Very good. Has the church planned for future progress and direction? Always look to the future. Always look to the future uh, as far as the planning is because you need to expect, okay, if we have change, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? If we need a new building, what, where are we going to get the funds? Um, what are we going to do when we meet, meet this ministry goal? What's next? Uh, these are good things that we need to uh, check out. Um, you know, what's the direction? Does it have in mind a particular method for reaching these goals? Uh, like Paul, as a as uh, we as a church need to run in such a way as not to aim, uh, go without aim. First Corinthians nine verse twenty six. What's the size? The size itself is not necessarily uh, good or bad, but it does give a sign as far as the the life of the church. Now you have to be, you have to, uh, first actually what we need to do is look at the doctrine. If it can get past that, if the, if the doctrine itself is solid, then, you know, looking at the size. And, you know, likewise, you know, when you're purchasing a home, some people prefer a warm, pointy, and small home, quiet size, rural setting. Uh, others prefer large structure in an urban area. And the same is true with the size of a church. Look at the headcount. Is this, you know, a place in which, you know, you've only got three people that you can interact with, that you can intermingle and, and grow in your faith? Or do you have a variety of people that can help you grow? Do you have like 10, 15 plus people that can help you grow in your faith, that can help you, or that you can help out with their ministry, or they can help you out with your ministry? Is there, is there basically a big enough group for a family? I think that's uh, the big thing here. Some Christians love being involved in urban churches, uh, and some simply don't. It's whatever your personal preference is. And you also have to see how it functions. Um, as you observe, you know, some of the, well, when, sat, when satisfied with the foundations, and again, we've already, when, you know, we went through the doctrine, we, now we've went through the foundations of the church, we've, you know, went through the church uh, structure, um, and now we need to look at the foundation, uh, you know, or at the functions. Uh, as a wise home buyer, they will look at the functions of the house to fulfill the purposes of the needs. Uh, is, is it designed to fit my needs or the family's needs? And as you, have you observe how the church functions, um, look for an emphasis on worshiping God. Uh, see if uh, the leadership stresses the importance of honoring and glorifying God in all things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and Colossians 3, 17. Also observe the involvement of the individual members. That's a key point. That's something you want to recognize. If the, if the involvement of the church members is at a decline or if it's not, almost non-existent, that means for concern because that, that shows that the Holy Spirit's not there. Um, it shows the, that this is essentially a group run by people and not by God. Um, because if the Holy Spirit's there, these people are going to be alive. They're going to be alive and they're going to want to seek out. They're going to want to uh, help out. They're going to want to help each other because they have this godly love. <clears throat> uh, do they exercise the spiritual gifts among the bodies? Or do they seem to expect the pastor? Here's the key point. Do they expect the pastor to do everything? 
And there's something else. You know, the pastor themselves, you know, I guess like indirectly is expected to be a part of everything or a lot of things or at least oversee it. But you need to recognize that. Is the pastor involved with everything? Because that's if, if you can say yes, then that's going to show that that's that uh, you know that, that they people lean so much on the pastor that they they're they're blind sheep. They don't know what direction to go. And the pastor himself, his his job is not to simply lead these blind sheep, but his job is to help these people understand the word of God, to live it out, to hold account, to be a deliverer of the message of the word of God, and get these people to follow Christ above himself. A strong local church is marked by love. Um, well, here, um, we missed the point here. Does the church emphasize evangelism as one of its primary functions? Um, are home and foreigner mission sh uh, missions an important part of its ministry? In other words, do people go out into the mission field? I mean, it's not just your everyday life. You go to church and then, okay, well, I'm going to go home and, you know, do my ministry. What it is, 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 is do they, you know, are they training people up? Do they have a group of body who goes out into other cities, uh, who are other countries? Um, do, they, do they help this build this up? Do they have an evangelism ministry? What about the discipleship? Are these people being taught? Are they actually building disciples? Or again, is it just a, a, a minister talking to blind and deaf sheep? Do you see other church members leading and seeking to make disciples to reproducing themselves in the lives of others? Do you see people hungry to help? A strong local church, again, is marked by love. And keep in mind, this is uh, agape. So the agape love, I think we went over with in the past. We'll probably go over again in the future. We're not going to focus too much on this right now. But this, this agape love is a divine love you can only get, you can only know, and you can only give by receiving it through Christ. Do members, uh, members of the church seem to genuinely care for one another? Genuinely care. Do they minister to each other's needs and they become acquainted to the church? Or uh, as you become acquainted to the church, do you sense that the members are loving one another as Christ has commanded? Notice that friendship is easily formed. Um, leaders, uh, the leadership of the church you choose should be committed to teaching and supporting God's design of the family. Uh, does the church schedule... Uh, does the church schedule contribute to uh, to or take away from the strength of the family? That's something that you need to recognize too. Is this helping the family, not just as an individual family, but also the church body as a family, and vice versa as well? Uh, checking its environment. We're almost done here, my friends. I promise. But you need to check its environment out too. Um, you know, if you go house hunting, you need to check and see, make sure what's going on, what kind of environment it is, what, what options are available. Uh, doubtless that you have experienced some attending, uh, some, doubtless that you have had the same experience when attending different churches. Certain observable factors contribute overall. Um, is it gloomy? Is it inviting? Is it uh, warm? Is it cold? Uh, you know, is this a place that's home or is it almost like a, a museum? The environmental components are usually manifested in the attitudes, the attitudes of the people. High view of God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And it should be obvious that the people from the leadership down, everybody, from the leadership downwards, everybody underneath the leadership, focus on the glory and the majesty of God. Do they take God seriously and exalt Him in all that they do?
giving honor to him. Thanks be to God for letting this happen. Their view of God will affect every aspect of their lives and ministry. Ask yourselves if God is the focus of the word or if they are preoccupied more with themselves or, uh, or essentially each other's. Uh, presence of sincere faith, it is obvious that uh, is it obvious to you that the church lives and, uh, and operates by faith are the people willing to trust God. Uh, spiritual sacrifice. Or the spirit of sacrifice. I'm sorry, the spirit of sacrifice. And honestly, um, I'm reading a book on the parables um, of Christ, the parables Christ taught. And I think this is something that should be re really focused on is self-sacrifice. Um, and again, we're, we're, I'm going to skim through this because there's a few other things I want to share here and we're running short on time. Self-sacrifice. Can you see the church members being willing to sacrifice uh, themselves for the possessions of their, uh, and their possessions to advance the kingdom? Proper uh, attitudes towards the, uh, the pastor and other leaders as you talk with... Now, keep in mind, we first need to recognize the sound doctrine. If the sound doctrine is there, okay, we can recognize these, uh, these ministers as ministers of the Lord. As you talk to the people, be sensitive to how they regard their leaders. Do they appreciate the esteem of their pastor and other leaders and very highly in love with, because of their work? Um, or are they, behind, are they behind them giving them spiritual and emotional and material support? The spirit of unity. Uh, this is uh, often the most obvious attitude radiating from the local congregation and outsiders uh, and able to sense quickly whether the church is unified in the ministry or not. And then you got to ask yourselves the, the biggest question of all, am I right for this church? After you've recognized the church, you basically need to ask, is like, where can I fit in? Where can I help? We've looked at the structures, uh, the foundation, the structures, the functions, and the environmental components, uh, uh, and that, and even the health uh, as, a, as a healthy local church. Now you got to look at yourself and ask, are there opportunities for me to serve and to exercise my spiritual gifts? Does this local body have a need that my God's or that by God's enabling I can meet? Basically, is there a place that I can serve? That's what you need to ask. And if there isn't, don't be too hesitant. Don't be too crazy to uh, walk away right there. First, in fact, actually, I'm doing this myself. You know, if you don't have a position, make a position. You know, work on getting to know people. Work on getting to know their theology. Work on getting to know their faith, their position, you know, how much love. And befriending these people. And then do that and then say, hey, you know, I've had this idea. We don't have this at this church. What do you guys think about getting something started? You know, do you guys want to do this or not? And I think that's really important to take. And I, before you even find, before you say, is like, is there a place uh, that for me to serve? And then, you know, come with the inclusion with no, do that. And if you can't find something that can do that, go to another church, get out of there. Because there's obviously not some, enough willingness, or however you want to word it, willingness, availability, whatever it may be, um, you know, to accomplish that, to accomplish that position of uh, servitude under the Lord. Um, there's a lot more that you can go with. I'll actually share this article on our website. Um, what to look for in a new church or the signs uh, of um, signs of a new church. But uh, the last thing I want to go over with before we close this, Calvary Evangelical Church. This is a local church here. Uh, they have an address here. They do not. They don't have an address in this uh, little booklet. I'm like, oh, they do. Located on uh, Vanward Decatur Road. This is in Vanward, Ohio. Um, their website is also not listed in this little booklet. 
Anyways, for those of you who are watching this video, this booklet is their bylaws. Uh, Calvary Evangelical Church, Constitution, and Bylaws. And I think this is wonderful. Um, your church themselves, I think, should have this available. Quite honestly, based on this information, there's no reason why this cannot be placed on a website. I do personally feel that it is helpful when finding a church, especially if you're kind of new to the area. Um, you know, it's you, you, you need to throw these up. You know, that way people can kind of get an understanding. But I, what I really like about Calvary, and these are some signs that show that this is a good church. Not only do they fit the bill in which I gave you in this uh, article that I just shared, but uh, this church itself uh, is wonderful. And there's a number of people, they said that I think about four or 500 people on average um, go to this church. But what I love the most is their passion and their zeal for the word of God. You've got the church, you've got the pastor, he's he's throwing up a sermon, which is actually interesting how this played out. I'm going to actually go in a you know, chronological order. When I first started going there, I went there as a stickler. I went with a stick in mud, and I was I was bound to expose. I was about this. I was I went in the mindset of I'm going to expose the errors. I'm going to I'm going to look for those first, and then I'm going to analyze those and say it's like can you know can we still work with these? And I've only found very very few minor vocabulary details that can be overlooked that are basically of no concern. I think that's wonderful. The man does a wonderful job uh, delivering the word of God. A uh, wonderful job giving reference points to other verses that align with that to help support uh, this. He does an expository teaching, a verse-by-verse -verse kind of concept. Um, so much there. And I, when I first started going there, I was like, you know, it'd be kind of nice to get to know a little bit more about this church. Next thing I know, hey, guys, we're having this little orientation. You know, new. if you're new to the church, come check this out. And what this was was essentially a meeting, you know, a little dinner as well for these new people to get involved, or not necessarily get involved, but to get to know what the church is about. And I was like, holy cow, this is awesome. So I did that, and there was another event. I, I'm actually kind of lost track as far as what the order was. But I was curious, Is like, you know, what do they teach about the doctrine of election? What do they teach about this concept of predestination? Next thing I know, the pastor's doing a sermon based on that. I was like, holy cow, this is really cool. Uh, the same thing with communion. I was wondering I, I was wondering how often they did communion. Next thing I know, they're doing communion. Now, I save the best for last. Uh, there's a few other things I believe I could share, but I want to share this one, and then we're going to call it a day. I was on my way to work one day. Or church, I don't even remember where I was going, but I was on my way somewhere. I remember being in the car, and I was thinking, I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to go out, you know, do some more traveling, or even with the church, you know, do some ministry traveling as well. That following Sunday, they're advertising this event that they're doing here in December, and what it was is it's an event in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, that's uh, you know, and I, I don't exactly know what's all going to happen. They do this every year. This is my first time experience there, but uh, it's it's a ministry uh, event in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was like, hey, this is actually really cool. So I looked it out, and it's going to cost me about seven eight hundred dollars for the trip, and that's including the, the my share of the the bus payments, the bus finance, the finances to, to pay for the bus trip, uh, as well as the hotel for that week. So there's that. But here's the cool thing is, I was asking, it's like, you know, how can I afford this? And I looked it up, I did a little Google, and it's only 20 minutes from where my aunt lives. There is no possible way that this, that all of this stuff could be, you know, you know, just coincidence. I'm not saying that it's all God doing simply because of me, but, I mean, it's it's a huge blessing. These, so this, to me, is a sign that this place is good, that this place is solid. Um, a men's group, there's another piece there that... Uh, 
the minister who was, uh, or the elder, I believe is who it was, that was uh, teaching the men's group. Uh, you know, my time there, he was doing expository uh, teaching. Really awesome, open to understanding, open to um, conversation and so on. And uh, I thought it was really beautiful stuff. Bottom line here is Calvary Evangelical Church at this point in time, I've said I've been there about four or five months. I do not have anything personally against it as a church. I think it's very beautiful, very well put together. The structure, the leadership, the beliefs, everything. Uh, it's really awesome. I want to encourage you guys, if you live here in Van Wert, Ohio, or even close by, check out that church. Um, Calvary Evangelical Church. Uh, really cool. Again, it's on, uh, what you say, Van Wert Decatur Road. So that's really all I have. Uh, we'll work on getting something out there for you guys next week. We'll probably do another uh, recording of uh, an archive recording is what we'll call it. Uh, get some of our past stuff uh, listed on that website. So I hope you guys did enjoy this. Any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to hit me up. Contact me on uh, online if you got my number, however you want to contact me, however you feel comfortable doing that. If you do, do not hesitate to ask. You guys have yourself until next week. A very wonderful weekend, and God bless.